What's up, everyone, and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we cover how the environment, our society, and corporate governance affects and are affected by our economy. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato, and today we're going to discuss our latest report on gender diversity at companies and how it is related to a company's carbon emissions. Then we hear from some colleagues on how their work-life balance is faring and what they think about the possible future of work. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Stay tuned. The push for greater diversity on corporate boards has been an ongoing societal task for some time. Conceptually, the benefits of inclusion are pretty clear. You have this thing called collective intelligence. More people, more diverse thought makes things better. People make better decisions when there's different ideas floating around. There's better collaboration. And since the share of individuals in our world that identify as women is around 50%, it just makes sense to have company boards that represent the makeup of our society. But it's difficult to only point to ideas of equality and things like collective intelligence as a reason for why diversity at public companies is important. So often what we do is we use company performance as the reproducible and beneficial association of board gender diversity. And the claim is that more women on a company's board equates to better shareholder performance overall. It's a claim that has been borne out by the research we have been conducting since 2009 and by other financial research institutions. But the causation between greater gender diversity and shareholder performance remains hotly debated. That is because direct causation is hard to prove except when you can really control all the variables in a study, something that is hard to do with a company that is operating in the real world. Still, companies with better gender and racial diversity on their boards do share some qualities with one another compared to their more phallocentric counterparts. And since Women's History Month in the U.S. is this month, and Monday was International Women's Day, I thought we should visit some of the new research my colleague Christina Milhoman, who has taken over the task of gender diversity research for us, has been doing. So I called her up, and first I asked her how things fared for women representation on public boards in 2020. I think that the most striking finding of the Women on Board 2020 progress report was that there was a significant slowdown in the rate of increasing female representation on boards. So real quick, to put that slowdown into context, I have to read some percentages to you. In 2019, we saw an increase of 2.1% in female representation on company boards. And in 2020, there was only a 0.6% increase. So there's still progress. But because of this change, we recalibrated our projections. And what we found is that there, there is an expectation, there is a likelihood that reaching both 30% women representation and obviously gender parity will be delayed. The reason Christina is mentioning the importance of getting 30% or getting to gender parity is because when those numbers are reached by a company, it signals an important change in how a non-majority group can operate on something as powerful as a large public company's board. 30% is usually considered as a critical mass of female directors. So sometimes it's referred to as three female directors on board, sometimes it's referred to as 30% female directors on board, but what it means is that you have enough uh, women on board that they can actually uh, properly participate 
and properly um, exert their functions. This reality has actually been reproduced in a replicated study called the Diversity Innovation Paradox in Science. The study found that demographically underrepresented PhD students actually innovate at higher rates than majority students, but their novel contributions are discounted and less likely to earn them academic positions and allow for sustaining careers in science. Basically, you can't just have good ideas. You need a group that will give you space to communicate those ideas and then provide you with the tools to act on them. It's the difference between looking at how inclusive a company is versus looking at the gender diversity of a company. One way to understand how inclusive a company is is to measure how long non-majority people stay at the company and work there. Basically, the turnover rates for non-majority people. For women on board research, this metric is called sustained gender diversity. Sustained gender diversity is when a company has three or more people identifying as women directors on a company board for more than three years. When Christina looked at this metric, she found that of the 1,300 companies with three or more women directors, only around 40% or 550 of them were able to sustain that level of diversity for more than three years. And in those 550 companies, Christina actually found an interesting statistical connection. What we observed was that companies with sustained board diversity, they were more likely to be ESG leaders and they were less likely to be ESG laggers. And the main driver of this difference was their environmental practice. So we decided to dive a little bit deeper and we looked at their carbon emission intensity. And what we found was that not all companies with sustained board diversity had the lowest carbon emission intensity, but on average, they had a stronger reduction in their carbon emission intensity. Carbon intensity is useful to look at because it tells you how much carbon is produced when a company generates $1 of sales. And what Christina found was that, on average, companies with three or more women on their boards were reducing their pollutants per dollar more than companies without more women representation. And she found that those companies were more likely to have environmental targets linked to executive compensation. But it didn't stop there. She also identified other more specific differences within particular sectors, like within the utility sector, where 19% of companies with sustained board diversity reported efforts to capture greenhouse gas emissions, a key metric for utilities, versus only 5% of companies without sustained board gender diversity doing this. Also, among utilities, 81% of companies with that sustained board gender diversity had targets to reduce their carbon emissions or improve their energy efficiency versus 61% of companies that lack this. It is the sort of finding that rings loud during a crisis period, one that has been disproportionately difficult for women, such as the current COVID-19 pandemic. We are at a time that the pandemic is threatening to undo years of progress in the context of gender diversity. Now, if there is a link between sustained gender diversity and environmental performance, there is just another reason why companies might want to have a look at their retention policies to, to consider if they have better policies in place to retain their female talents.
Companies might need to look at ways to retain and sustain their non-majority members because the pandemic and crises in general often amplify existing inequalities. During the pandemic, as women and men are both suffering, it is often women who have been disproportionately squeezed by COVID. Not only do women earn less in every country, but they have more precarious jobs with less job security. They have to deal with the motherhood gap that is largely the reason for the gender pay gap, and they often shoulder much of the burden of care caring for children and the family. So we just spent some time talking about how this affects companies and sectors, but this is lived experiences for many of my colleagues and your family members and friends who are primary caregivers. And I wanted to share some voices I don't get to have on here often enough and to hear how they are faring during the pandemic. So I called up five women I work with. First, you're gonna hear a quote from Sam in Toronto, then Pooja in the East Village of Manhattan, then Yuki in Japan, then Sheena in the Bronx, and lastly, Olga in Russia. These women work in a number of different roles, and they're in a number of different countries, and their kids are at different stages of their lives. And while they are all grateful that most of their families were in good health and that they could work remotely, each had a different view about how the pandemic was affecting their families and their mental health. So I hope you enjoy hearing their voices. You know, MSCI has historically, um, for me at least being in, in Toronto and in a satellite office, we have had a little bit more flexibility, I think, than uh, maybe some other of the the larger offices. So, you know, working from home wasn't brand new to us or was it new to me? I would probably, you know, if I needed to, you know, work from home, you know, once or, or twice at most um, a week, uh, you know, just given uh, the need for flexibility uh, having two young kids. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, working from home five days a week uh, probably wouldn't be my choice. I like people. I like being in the office. Um, you know, I like the office environment and, and it's a change of scenery. Um, it also allows me to separate uh, work and life. And I think that's one thing that I couldn't do or haven't still haven't been able to do over the last year. Uh, I feel like both my work life and my home life and family life have mixed um, to uh, a point where I, it's it has been a little overwhelming. You know, I don't know when family life and dealing with kids in the house, you know, ends and where work ends or picks up. And so it's a constant cycle of just, you know, um, work and family and work and family in the same environment. And so that's, you know, there's a lot of emotions that go into kind of having this shift for them as well. So I think, you know, everyone going through this is, is it's a really big emotional stage. And so you really have to stop and think like, okay, how is this impacting you? How is this impacting me? And like, just give everyone some credit. Um, but in general, it's been okay. You know, I think what's, what's, you know, we talked a little bit about this, Mike, but I think what's, what's evident is that flexibility and like how we work is going to be more important to me than ever now. Um, you know, I think, and I, I, now that we have it, it's going to be really hard to go back from like, you know, five days a week, eight to six o'clock in the office. Um, I just, I really very much value the time that I've, you know, um, gained with my child and frankly, my husband as well. So, so yeah, uh, after the pandemic, I have been working from home almost every day. Um, and it's really good to me um, because I used to commute one and a half hour one way. 
so I had to、um, leave the form very early、uh, around 6 30 a.m. And then I, have, I had to leave the office around 4 30 p.m. To, keep, to pick my kids、uh, at the childcare. But now、uh, I can stay at home until you know, 8 a.m. or so, so I could spend much more time. Uh, with kids, and I also I can work until you know 6 p.m. or so. So, yeah, definitely、uh, positive to me. So,、uh, for me,、um, the beginning was a little、um, shocking just in the, because and I have my little one at home, so you can probably hear her in the background. <laughs> just because、um, the unknown. So, I'm not too good with not knowing what's coming next. So, we were just told, okay, go home, and、um, not knowing what the future would hold for the, current, for the job, and then not knowing what the future would hold for the actual pandemic. It was just a, a, it was a little shocking, it was a little unnerving.、Um, and then when the little one was sent home from daycare, It, for her, it was more of a party because mom and dad are home. You know, we're all gonna spend all this time together and I don't have to do anything. I don't have to wake up early. Like, it was just a little, it was shocking on her for the schedule, but to her, it was the coolest thing ever. So, you know, that I'm, I'm currently in, in a small town outside of Moscow where my mother lives.、Uh, she's 78, just turned 78. And,、um, Uh, our father just passed away just before New Year, so she's by herself and、um, uh, quite emotional, of course, but most importantly, completely unprepared to, to live by herself because, you know, I, I guess I don't know whether it's a generational thing or is it the immigration thing in the country thing, but、uh, I think my father was taking care of everything and、uh, she's completely. Um, out of you know, this world in terms of understanding how things work. So, yeah, so, so just being here and kind of getting things sorted out, take some time. And of course, I, I have to do all of that while、uh, working full time. And、uh, so, right now, it's, it's a little bit tough because I kind of have two shifts. One is dealing with all the administrative stuff、uh, back in Russia and dealing with the papers. And then the second shift is actually staying on top of the things at work and kind of dealing with a lot of other really exciting and urgent things at work. And that's it for the week. I want to thank Christina and Sam and Pooja and Yuki and Sheena and Olga for talking with me this week about the news with Niyashi Twist and how everything is going for them during the pandemic. It was. Really powerful for them to show their vulnerability on a podcast. So I really appreciate that. And shout out to all the primary caregivers in whatever form they are out there. We appreciate you. We hope you're staying safe and the love is strong. Thanks as always for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us. That always helps. And subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again and talk to you next week. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. 
and this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to and or received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or produ product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.